Today on Truth and Politics and Culture, social media CEOs face strong criticism from lawmakers and emotion from parents of children who have been hurt or have, been, or have died because of social media influence. Six peaceful pro-life protesters may be headed to jail for 11 years, and a massive trucker convoy heads south to protest our open southern border. This is Dr. Tony Beam, and it's time to crank it up. Welcome in, everybody. Thanks for joining us today for another edition of Truth and Politics and Culture. I appreciate you making this part of your day. It's uh, always good to have you listening on YouTube and live on Facebook. And of course, later on, you can download the podcast as we, as you have a chance to listen to it. Or as I like to say, at your leisure. All right. Yesterday was a great day in uh, Columbia. I want to thank everybody with the South Carolina Baptist Convention that made yesterday possible. I mean, we we had a ton of people yesterday in Columbia that came to the South Carolina Baptist Barbecue. Uh, we do this every year. Uh, we set up with big tents in between the Senate and the House office building, put up, well, actually one huge tent. And uh, we serve barbecue to the legislature, and we appreciate uh, the House being able to get out long enough uh, to come and fix some plates. Uh, some of the um, House members didn't get to stay very long because there's a lot going on in the House yesterday that we're going to get to. But uh, the Senate didn't go into session until 1 o'clock yesterday afternoon, so we had a good number of senators stop by to grab a plate of barbecue and to sit down and just hear some of the concerns of the folks that are South Carolina Baptist. I mean, we had pastors there. We had lay people. We had members of the Christian Life and Public Affairs Committee of the South Carolina Convention. Uh, of course, I was there. We had our One Message partners from Columbia, several that were there that were represented, and uh, from other conservative organizations that are in Columbia, always trying to get good, solid legislation passed. And we're going to talk about some a couple of big bills that passed yesterday. Uh, but before we get into that and, and to talk about all that, I wanted to talk about the hearing yesterday on Capitol Hill where social media tech CEOs really faced the music yesterday. I mean, there was, there was just no question. Meta, TikTok, X, Snap, um, and Discord, all these CEOs were present, and they faced severe criticism from lawmakers uh, and, and a lot of emotion that came from the parents and the friends who were there in the gallery. And they have family members that have died or been seriously hurt by social media. A lot of their children that have been pushed into depression. And these parents and these friends um, and th these people who know the ones who have suffered say without reservation that social media played a big role sometimes in suicide, sometimes in driving students to depression and having to be treated for depression. Um, and it, it yesterday it kind of all came to a head. Uh, the hearing covered, I mean, there were a lot of topics that were 
covered. It, that things like child, child exploitation, child pornography, which a lot of the folks that were present yesterday and some of the lawmakers blame on social media that uh, children are groomed on social media for particular things. A lot of them pushed toward, uh, and, and uh, well, I should say, child pornography is disseminated often or is made uh, available, made, it's made, um, uh, children are made aware of it, um, and children are drawn in and exploited, that social media can actually add to that when it comes to child pornography and the promotion of life-threatening materials, uh, drugs, the promotion of drugs, fentanyl, and of course, emotionally and psychologically destructive behavior that um, can can come when minors are just allowed to spend hours or and that are unsupervised on social media. Um, another topic was Chinese ownership of TikTok, that, and, and that it promotes one set of values in China and another set of values in the United States and around the world, and it's used as a propaganda tool, not only for the Chinese government, but to undermine uh, a whole generation here in the United States. Republican Senators Ted Cruz and uh, Josh Hawley, uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, they were particularly harsh in their criticism, uh, criticism of the companies and the lack of commitment that these companies have to policing themselves. But so were Democrat Senators Amy Klobuchar and Dick Durbin. I mean, this was a rare moment of bipartisan hearing criticism. Usually, when you have these hearings on Capitol Hill, you have a lot of grandstanding. When you have a hearing, there's always going to be political grandstanding because politicians love to have the opportunity to hear the sound of their own voice, and that's on both sides of the aisle, by the way. But when when these politicians, these elected officials began to speak, you heard Democrats and Republicans singing off the same songbook, which is really rare in D.C., it's very rare in Colombia. We had it happen yesterday in Colombia in, in an amazing way uh, that we're going to talk about in a minute. But yesterday, it was certainly a rare moment of bipartisan agreement on any issue in Washington. Uh, Senator Hawley cha uh, challenged Mark Zuckerberg to apologize to the people that he had hurt, which is, I mean, I mean imagine this. I mean, you've got a public hearing, and you've got Mark Zuckerberg sitting there, and Josh Hawley just leaned into him and said, would you like to apologize to the people that have been hurt? And, uh, I mean, unbelievably to me, Mark Zuckerberg stood up, turned around, and said this to the people behind him. Have you apologized to the victims? I've... Would you like to do so now? Well, they're here. You're on national television. Would you like now to apologize to the victims who have been harmed by your product? Show them the pictures. Would you like to apologize for what you've done to these good people? And this is why we invested so much and are going to continue doing these extremely big efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. Okay, now I know it was kind of hard to hear, particularly the beginning of that, because the, so many people were uh, applauding, and Zuckerberg actually turned away from the microphones 
and turned. He stood up and faced the people that were there in the gallery. But here's what he said. He said, I'm sorry for everything that you've gone through. Nobody should have to go through what your families have suffered. This is why we've invested so much and are going to continue uh, industry-leading efforts to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have suffered. Now, obviously, he's going to say that at the end because uh, it, it, to, the amazing thing about this is that Zuckerberg, a lot of people are talking about the fact today that Zuckerberg really opened up avenues of lawsuits to be brought against um, Facebook and against Meta, um, Instagram, Facebook, all of it, simply because he pretty much admitted by apologizing, I mean, in a very public way, on camera, millions of people, um, and, and this, this will be undeniable, that he basically was culpable. I mean, he was saying that his company, when you apologize for something, you're taking responsibility for decisions that your company has made. And of course, the the companies are not Facebook and, and Meta, which I keep forgetting. I mean, when you hear me say Facebook, just know that I'm saying Meta. I have to get accustomed. It's been a lot of years of just talking about Facebook, Instagram. But Meta, um, it, it's, it's very difficult, next to impossible, to sue these companies. And this is part of what yesterday's hearing was all about, is the fact that parents who lose children, minors, uh, influenced by social media, that they really don't have any any recourse. Um, Zuckerberg's very public policy, apology yesterday failed to move one of the parents who lost a child to suicide. Mary Rohde was quoted as saying, if he really wants to apologize to me, then answer any of my letters or contacts from any attorneys or anybody else the whole time since my kid died three years ago, she said, noting that her son had died by suicide at the age of 15 after someone used explicit photos to extort money from him via Facebook Messenger. Now, this is coming today from Daily Wire, by the way. In that very short time, he panicked. He was an impulsive 15-year-old. He felt totally trapped, and he killed himself. So there, the parents yesterday came ready to rumble with some of these CEOs because of the hurt that they've, they've gone through, um, and it has, I mean, it has been there, there's, there's no monitoring. I mean, how long has it been now since meta and social media companies have arisen? It's been decades and we still don't have any way to make sure that they're acting responsibly or that the steps that they're taking to try to protect these kids are actually achieving the goals that they put out there. And it, when you're talking about the suicide rate, and you're talking about the amount of psychological damage, and you're talking about the amount of drugs that are promoted that end up taking the life of, of, of uh, particularly of minors. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that this hasn't been addressed before. Senator Graham really uh, went after Zuckerberg yesterday, basically telling him that he has blood on his hands. Mr. Zuckerberg, you and the companies before us, I know you don't mean to it to be so, but you have blood on your hands. You have a product. You have a product that's killing people. When we had cigarettes killing people, we did some about it, maybe not enough. You're going to talk about guns, we have the ATF. Nothing here. There's not a damn thing anybody can do about it. You can't be sued. Now, Senator Blumenthal and Blackburn, who've been like the dynamic duo here, 
have found emails from your company where they warned you about this stuff and you decided not to hire 45 people that could do a better job of policing this. So the bottom line is you can't be sued. You should be. And these emails would be great for punitive damages. But the courtrooms closed every American abused by all the companies in front of me. So that was Senator Graham's main point is that they should be held accountable, but nobody can hold them accountable because they it's essentially they're protected as private companies um, and that they at, at this current moment, they can't be sued. Uh, Senator Ted Cruz went after TikTok. He went after the CEO, Shoji Chu, for promoting math and science in China while promoting very self-destructive things uh, here in the United States. And I think this was a great point. I, I think that one of the things that gets missed about TikTok is the, face that, is the fact that TikTok is operating differently in China um, than they do in the United States. The messages that the kids in China see are mostly positive messages, while uh, minors in the United States are exposed to all kinds of things. Here's that exchange. And I'll tell you, the American people don't either. If you look at what is on TikTok in China, you are promoting to kids science and math videos, educational videos, and you limit the amount of time kids can be on TikTok. In the United States, you are promoting to kids self-harm videos and anti-Israel propaganda. Why is there such a dramatic difference? Senator, that is just not accurate. Uh, there there, is a there's lot not of a difference between what kids see in China and what kids see here? Senator, TikTok is not available in China. It's a separate experience there. Well, what I'm but, saying but is... But you, you have a, a company that is essentially the same, except it promotes beneficial materials instead of harmful materials. Yeah, this, is, uh, th this has been one of the big criticisms that I've felt about TikTok in particular, that here in the United States, it becomes... It's a very destructive force. Uh, not only is it likely a tool for spying for the Chinese... Uh, you have government officials are not supposed to be using TikTok because of that very possibility. Um, and then, but the, the real danger to me is the negative information that TikTok promotes while in China it's putting out information that's beneficial and building up the next generation instead of trying to destroy it. Uh, going on yesterday, Senator Cotton raised the potential of collaboration between the Biden administration and TikTok noting that Biden, the Biden White House officials in the president's re-election campaign have TikTok accounts. Uh, quote, has the Federal Trade Commission sued TikTok during the Biden administration? Cotton asked Chu. Chu first said that he can't talk about potential litigation. Cotton replied, the answer is no. Referring to the Federal Trade Commission litigation against X and Meta, Cotton said Ms. Yaccarino's company is being sued, I believe. Mr. Zuckerberg's company is being sued, I believe. And then he went on to say, he later brought up the fact that TikTok lobbyists have been frequent visitors to the White House during the Biden presidency. Cotton said, quote, public reports indicate that your lobbyists visited the White House more than 40 times in 2022. How many times did your company lobbyists visit the White House last year? Cotton asked. Chu replied, I don't know, Senator. 
Cotton noted that President Joe Biden's re-election campaign and the Democratic National Committee have TikTok accounts. And by the way, he said, they won't let their staffers use their personal phones. They have separate phones that, that, that only use TikTok. And, and they use those phones only for that purpose. Um, and Chu's only response was, we encourage everyone to join. Uh, quote, have you or anyone at TikTok communicated with or coordinated with the Biden administration, the Biden campaign, or the Democrat National Committee to influence the flow of information on your platform? Chu didn't answer yes or no, but he said, we work with any creators. It's all the same process. In other words, that's a yes. We know that that's happening. I mean, we know that they're working with particularly Biden campaign officials um, to get a particular message out to young people uh, and to younger voters. And of course, TikTok is the platform to do that because it's, it's the, the most used and it's the most widely influential right now in the United States. Um, Senator Cotton ended up by saying, look, what we hear is we have a company that is poisoning the minds of Americans' children, in some cases driving them to suicide, that the Biden administration is taking a pass on at best and at worst is working in collaboration with. And so this, is, this, this, got, this hearing got pretty testy yesterday, and it was pretty testy on both sides of the aisle, which is an amazing, amazing again, an amazing thing to see in Washington with the absolute acrimony and hatred between the parties that's going on there right now, for them to find a place where they can say to each other, look, this is something that we can agree on. It's the danger of social media as it relates to minors. Now, the question after yesterday's testimony is, is what's next? By the way, again, thanks to Daily, um, the Daily Signal for a lot of this information that um, I'm, I'm using, all of these quotes from Cotton, all of this came from Daily Signal today. Um, so what's next? What's the next step? Well, the next step would be for Congress to pass the Bipartisan Kids Online Safety Act. Now, that's not going to solve the problem. I mean, this is a situation that's going to require personal responsibility. And you can't, you can't legislate personal responsibility in a way that, that makes people take that responsibility when it comes to their own kids. You can pass a law, you can put requirements and restrictions on the social media companies, but the thing that's going to have to happen is monitoring of social media. Parents have to take responsibility. They have to say, you know, set rules for their, for their kids. And they don't need, the government doesn't need to be setting rules for their kids, not that, that the parents have to enforce necessarily, except access. Now, I would make an exception for that. I think requiring minors to have parental permission for access to these platforms, to be able to set up a social media account, I think that makes, per, makes perfect sense. I mean, you, you can't tell the, you can't require the parent to teach or what to teach to their kids about social media, but you can require the parent to be engaged and involved and at least to know that their minor, their child, uh, has an account and therefore should be monitoring the account. Uh, the bill, Kids, Kids Online Safety Act, would do several things. It would require online companies to take reasonable steps to prevent bullying, sexual exploitation, all of that's in the bill, exposure to videos that promote anorexia or cutting. I mean, this is a big problem 
uh, particularly on, well, on across social media platforms, but particularly on TikTok, because there, there are people out there putting out videos that glorify the idea of cutting or that make anorexia look like a good thing rather than a bad thing. And the, the bill would offer privacy tools and monitoring tools for parents. Now, this giving tools to parents, causing the social media companies to make tools available to the parents so that they can more easily monitor what their kids are doing. You, the, the parents are going to have to take responsibility to do the monitoring. But at least if the social media companies have to provide the tools for that, then that's a good step in getting the parents involved and engaged. Um, a lot of disclosure for targeted advertising and marketing. That I mean, the advertising and marketing that goes on um, to minors and the way that they are um, pushed into one direction or another, a lot of times negative direction on social media, to, to be able to get full disclosure so that parents know, that everybody knows, these ads are calling for minors to do these things, to take these actions. And, and these companies are marketing to minors on social media platforms. Um, that would be very helpful because they're, I mean, if you've got uh, porn online companies and they're, they're marketing somehow in a subtle way through social media companies, that, that needs to be revealed. We need to know what companies are marketing and why. Uh, Evan Spiegel, who's the CEO of Snap, and Lindy uh, Acarino, both prom who's the uh, she's CEO at uh, X, I think, both promised to support the Kids Online Safety Act, and the others pretty much did not. I mean, Zuckerberg, uh, Chu, some of the others that were there said, "Look, we're we're going to have to know more about the bill before we get engaged and involved." But two of the CEOs were ready to go on the record yesterday and say, "Yes, we need we need more monitoring. We need." for these safeguards to be in place. We're going to put them in place. Um, and, and that's what you, what you really want to hear. You want to hear these CEOs take responsibility, like Zuckerberg did, but then not only take responsibility, but turn around and say, okay, and, and you know, look at the parents and then turn back to the microphone and say, this is what we intend to do to make things better. But they've said that before. That's why I think this bill, the Child Online Safety Act, is going to have to pass to hold them accountable since they've, they've had plenty of time to hold themselves accountable. You heard Senator Graham talking about the fact that there were suggestions made to them about how they could um, in, increase their self-monitoring of what's going on on their social media platforms, and they refused to do it. And, and so... If, if they've been given that opportunity before and they've refused to take that responsibility, then there needs to be accountability, and that's going to have to come through somehow through the law. Now, while all this was going on in Washington yesterday, in Columbia, the House voted to pass H-4700, the South Carolina Social Media Regulation Act. Listen to this. The vote was 105 to 1. You had one negative vote in the House yesterday. And then the bill is going over to the Senate. I, I don't remember a vote like this. Uh, I, I mean, particularly over a bill that had any controversy, that required any kind of debate. I mean, things get passed pretty much by 
uh, voice acclamation. I mean, you'll have a you'll have some kind of bill come up that everybody agrees on, um, and, and and you get okay, all in favor, aye. The, the nay, the, uh, oppose nay. Their eyes have it, and it happens that fast in the House uh, with a voice vote. But for this to be, to go on the record um, for a, a recorded vote, and you've got a hundred and five of of the House members say yes, and only one say no. That's incredible. That means lots of Democrats voted for this. And the same thing yesterday with 3424, which is the Child Online Safety Act that would uh, require uh, online porn companies to be able to identify whether their information is getting into the hands of minors, whether minors are being able to see their material. Um, it, they're they're going to have to they're going to have to prevent that. They're going to have to take steps to identify minors that are are strong enough to be able to say with a straight face that not in, that minors are not being able to get access to their material. And if they do, they can be sued. That bill yesterday passed 104 to one. So we had two near unanimous votes in the House yesterday to send both of these bills over to the Senate. Now, the big question is, what's the Senate going to do with them? I mean, you know, the Senate, um, a, a lot of times there's legislation that comes through the House that, pat, that gets to the, to the Senate, and then it bogs down. Hopefully, because of the bipartisan vote in the House and the strength of that, uh, that the Senate will take these up and that these bills will pass. And if we get these two bills passed, we will have done a lot to protect minors in South Carolina from a lot of the uh, hazards that they're facing right now that they shouldn't be. All right, um, let's move on and talk about a couple of other things that are in the news. I, I tell you, this trucker convoy that's headed down to the border, um, it truly is an amazing thing. I mean, when you talk about just the sheer number. The big 10 four there, Big Benny. Yeah, we definitely got the front door, good buddy. Mercy sakes alive, looks like we've got us a convoy. Yep, no question that it's a convoy. Uh, it's a convoy event that's been called Take Our Border Back, and it kicked off Monday with a departure of Convoy 1 from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Three trucker convoys are participating, all leaving from different locations from across the country. And this is according to the Daily Signal today. Um, this is Representative Keith Self, a Republican from Texas, said, we have a trucker convoy coming down to the border. He said that in an interview with Fox Business Network, adding, the American people have had enough. We're demanding that the Biden administration do the job, enforce the laws on the books, and secure the border. You know, we're waiting right now for this bipartisan bill that's supposed to come out of the Senate that would tighten border security. And according to Senator Langford, it's a bill that Republicans should support. Uh, but you've already got a lot of Republicans that are pushing back on the bill, even though they haven't seen the text of the bill. They're saying that uh, some are just blatantly saying they don't want to give a victory to the Biden administration during an, a year, an election year, where immigration is the number one issue. But, but here's the thing that I would say about that. I mean, if, if this is a good bill, and I have no idea whether it's a good bill or not, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and try to analyze a bill when I haven't seen the text and all the stuff that's leaked out about it, I have no idea what's true and what's false about the information that's coming out about the bill. But once the text is made available, if it is a good bill and it does, it requires President Biden and um, um, 
health and I mean uh, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas to take certain steps to secure the border, then I think Republicans should pass it. And then if the Biden administration, if they don't follow the requirements of the bill, then Republicans can point to that and use that as an election issue. To me, that would be a lot better if the bill is good. Now, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not supporting 100% this bill or saying that it should get passed because I don't know what it says. But if it turns out to be a good bill, and if it puts the onus on the administration, which it will because, obviously, Republicans can't be the ones that enforce any of this because they don't have the White House, they don't, they don't have the cabinet positions. And so if it puts... If it puts the responsibility where it belongs, um, then Republicans should consider voting for it So, and then turn around and hold the administration accountable uh, for not enforcing new uh, laws that would be granted to the president. Now, the, the president doesn't need a new law to close the border. This idea that some kind of new authority's got to be given to Biden, uh, he has the authority. All he has to do is declare an emergency, and he can close the border. But he won't do that. He wants, to, he wants to put the pressure. He wants Republicans to take this up so in some way he can blame Republicans. The immigration issue is killing the Biden reelection campaign. I mean, it's the number one thing. Right now, the American people are more engaged and paying more attention to this than probably any other issue. In fact, it's the number one issue when you talk about reelection. And so you know, the Biden administration is trying to figure out a way to blame President Trump and to blame Republicans. And you're starting to see articles show up in places like the New York Times and in the Washington Post asking why President Trump didn't close the border. President Trump did a lot of good to get the border, the, the um, illegal crossings way down at the southern border. And he did what he could to build the wall. He couldn't fund it. I mean, and, and Congress, quite frankly, let him down in a, on a couple of those in a couple of those issues. So here's here's the thing to me: if Republicans get a good bill, and then they say, "Well, we're not going to pass it because we want this issue," that makes it look like that Republicans care more about the politics than they do about the problem. And to me, voters will figure that out. I mean, if, it, 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 if it's a good bill, now, if there's plenty of reasons not to vote for it, they shouldn't vote for it. They certainly shouldn't vote for a bad bill because then everybody walks away, problem solved, when actually the problem is not solved. Um, all right, back to the truckers. Self-shared information about the trucker convoys on X, uh, in which he urged followers to join us, adding the time is now for people to peacefully assemble in honor of our constitutional rights, uh, to call on the government to take action and to secure our border. The trucker convoy event dubbed Take Our Border Back kicked off on Monday, as we said. You've got uh, convoy number one headed for Eagle Pass, Texas. It'll be uh, driving through Dipping Springs and on to Quamado, Texas. I believe that's the right pronunciation. Convoy 2 departs from Dripping Springs for Yuma, Arizona, and Convoy 3 leaves from San Ysidro, California, and will head toward Yuma on Saturday. So Saturday's the big day, um, the day after tomorrow. Rallies are planned for Texas, California, New Mexico, Arizona, 
by the participants in the trucker convoys with the goal of shedding light on what they're calling the obvious dangers posed by wide-open southern borders. In its news release, the Take Our Borders Back Trucker Convoy Coalition described itself as peaceful, lawful, and with a clear message to all city, state, and federal politicians and immigration officials. The goals of the trucker convoy are to request all laws of our U.S. Constitution be immediately upheld to slow and ultimately stop drug trafficking and human trafficking associated with open borders and to call for immediate action to secure our borders before irreversible serious consequences befall our nation. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people that think those consequences are already here. Um, uh, hopefully, they're not irreversible. But certainly, the entire country right now is suffering the consequences of having an open southern border. And there is not going to be any talk uh, that nobody is going to seriously consider talk about immigration reform until the border is secure, until we can demonstrate that we have control of the southern border because right now we have absolutely no operational functional control. If you talk to Border Patrol agents, they'll tell you that that's the case. If you talk to Border Patrol agents, they'll tell you that they admire what the state of Texas is doing because the state of Texas, you know, the Biden administration wants to say, hey, the state of Texas is inhibiting the work of our Border Patrol agents. But if you talk to the Border Patrol, they think the state of Texas is actually trying to help them to do their job, which is to enforce the law at the border. And by the way, Congress can't do that. If Congress can pass the laws, but it's up to the executive branch. There's no way that Republicans can legitimately be blamed for what's happening at the border. It's just not possible because... This is the, has to be laid right at the feet of President Biden and the Biden administration. And yes, I know Mayorkas is being impeached. I'm, I'm, I have, I'm, I'm sort of torn about that. Um, I see the PR value of it. In other words, if, if his impeachment grabs some headlines, puts some information out that the American people see that maybe they're not seeing from other sources— I can see that as a benefit, but I, it, it, to me, using impeachment as a tool in this manner, the person they ought to be going after is Joe Biden, not Mayorkas. Mayorkas is a cabinet official. He's carrying out the will of the president. This is the president's policy, not Homeland Security's policy. And if, if you're going to hold somebody accountable, hold the guy accountable at the top who's pulling Mayorkas' strings, who's telling Mayorkas what to do. And yeah, I get it. It's, you know, well, we need to go after this guy because he's not doing his job. Well, that's true. But the reason he's not doing his job is because he's carrying out the policy of, of the administration. And in that sense, he is doing his job. He's doing what the president wants. The president wants this open border. And so he's, allow, he's directing the people that report to him to behave in the way they behave to achieve the goal of having an open border. And that's on the president, to me, uh, more than it is Mayorkas. Now, maybe there's, like I said, maybe there's some benefit in that you get some type of uh, public relations uh, boom. You get people more engaged and involved as you talk about Mayorkas and you make the case 
for impeachment, but obviously he's not going to be removed. This is not going to change the policy. Even if Mayorkas was removed as uh, chief head of Homeland Security, the person that Biden would put in his place is going to be as bad or worse because this person that Biden would put in place is going to follow the same policies that Mayorkas is following because Biden is his boss. And so I, overall, I just, I, I, I don't accept again, and I'm, I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm just saying, okay, if the value is here, maybe it's engaging the American people. But to me, that would be that because they're not going to remove him. I, I, the, the Senate, of course, is not going to go along with this um, in any, in any fashion. Um, and, Republicans are, are going to have, it's going to take every Republican vote uh, to, to, in order to impeach him. And I don't know, there may be some moderates that won't go along. Hopefully, uh, Speaker Johnson knows that he's got the votes before he heads to the floor with this, now that the articles of impeachment are out there, that he's going to for sure be able to get uh, the vote to impeach uh, once it gets to the House floor. All right, a um, couple of other things that I wanted to get to today. Um, this is National Review is talking about this today, and there's a, there's a lot of other people talking about the fact that we've got half a dozen pro-life activists from Tennessee that were convicted by the U.S. Department of Justice for violations of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Interests Act. That's the FACE Act. And each one of these defendants faces up to a maximum of 10 and a half years in prison, three years of supervised release, and fines that could go as high as $260,000. I mean, this, this is absolutely absurd on many, many levels. Um, it, it's, it, and by the way, let me just let you hear. You, you want to talk about the type of protests that were taking place um, in a hallway where these protesters were arrested. Th this is just a little bit of what it sounded like when those protesters were actually sitting there peacefully singing hymns. Now, if you could see the video, they're just sitting there in a hallway. In fact, they say they're they're blocking access. Uh, people could walk around them. I mean, I'm looking here at the video. There's space that somebody could get through that hallway if they wanted to. Nothing violent about this. Peaceful protesters, and yet they're facing jail time when the just the Biden Justice Department has allowed people to protest outside of Supreme Court justices' homes. They allowed Black Lives Matter activists to do billions of dollars of damage to the country and torch businesses. How many of those people are sitting in jail? How many of those people are facing serious charges? As far as I know, none of the people who protested illegally according to the Constitution and, and according to the law are illegally protested out in front of these justices' homes, how many of them have even been arrested? I don't, I don't know of anybody that's actually paid any price. Now, I, I haven't seen every story about it, but I, I haven't been able to find anything that says that they paid any price at all. I mean, how about the people that stormed the Capitol 
these pro-Palestinian protesters that were egged on by Rashida Tlaib? How many of them are actually going to face charges and end up going to jail for any length of time? And yet here we have six peaceful protesters, and because they, the Biden administration doesn't agree with the way that, uh, with their particular political philosophy or the issue that they have with, uh, with abortion, because the Biden administration doesn't agree, the law is being used to persecute them. And I, just, I don't think there's any question about that. You know, Themis is Lady Justice. Uh, she's Greek, Roman goddess. And, of course, we use that symbol today. That's Lady Justice that we see that holds the scales. She's got her foot on a snake, and she's got a blindfold on. And the blindfold is supposed to symbolize the fact that she treats everybody the same, that justice is the same in America for everybody, regardless of your wealth and certainly regardless of your political stance of your, or of your religious belief. But the truth is, if you want to see a real statue of Lady Justice that portrays the Biden department, the Biden administration's idea of justice, you would have to portray Lady Justice holding up the blindfold on one side leaving the blind foot, the other eye covered. So in other words, she's totally looking for people that the administration disagrees with to go after while turning a blind eye to the examples that I gave earlier of Black Lives Matter protesters that turn violent, of protesters outside of Supreme Court justice houses, of pro-Palestinian protesters. What about all these pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas, anti-Israel protesters that have shut down bridges? shut down traffic. Why are they not being pursued by the Biden administration and charged with major crimes and facing jail time? Very simple. The Biden administration is sympathetic toward them. Lady Justice is winking at them rather than holding them accountable. I mean, Lady Justice ought to be picking up the snake. And if we've got if we're going to have a current instead of the snake which would be evil or injustice, being crushed under Lady Justice. You need to have Lady Justice lay down the sword that she holds, which is supposed to be the proper authority and use of government power. She should lay that down and pick up the snake because it's the snake here that's being promoted, particularly with innocent people. I mean, yes, technically they were in violation of the FACE Act, but 11 years in prison and trying to portray this. In fact, one of the uh, lawyers in the case, one of the prosecutors, talked about the fact that the fact that they broke the law makes them violent protesters. That no matter how they were protesting, if the law was broken, they should be classified as violent because they broke the law. Well, what about the violent illegal immigrants coming into the country? How about the violent protesters that are doing, like I said before, blocking bridges or... Um, stopping traffic or marching in the street, shutting down an entire city on behalf of Hamas and against Israel. This is what the uh, National Review wrote about this. We think the evidence is clear. The DOJ's uh, prosecution of pro-lifers under the FACE Act is disproportionate and unjust. Well, yeah, that goes without saying although we need to say it because everybody needs to hear it 
and know that this is what the Justice Department is up to. The Tennessee case is part of a disturbing pattern of overcharging and using absurd amounts of law enforcement resources to intimidate pro-lifers. Two pro-life activists, Gene Marshall and Joan Bell, were convicted under the FACE Act in a separate incident that occurred in 2020. If they faced the full penalty sought by the DOJ, they'd be in prison for 11 years into their 80s. They would be getting more time than can be given for aggravated assault or arson in the District of Columbia. Now, it is D.C., one of the most left, most progressive places on the planet where crime is rampant. And they have all kinds of problems because they're being, they're being run by progressives. The Biden DOJ has admitted openly that there's a mentality of political retaliation at work in their stepped-up enforcement of the FACE Act. In December of 2022, uh, 2022 Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta commented that overturn the overturning of Roe v. Wade was a, quote, devastating blow to women throughout the country that increased the urgency of the department's work, including enforcement of the FACE Act. So you've got the DOJ deliberately blurring the line between protesting in front of clinics and obstructing entrance to them in order to throw the book at peaceful pro-life Americans. National Review says no other institutions in American life get this kind of special protection from free speech acts other than abortion clinics. And then it calls for... Uh, Republicans to investigate how the DOJ is allowing resources and changing policy on FACE Act prosecutions and expose these abuses, abuses for what they are, the crassest form of legal harassment, and they should seek to repeal the FACE Act the first chance they get. I agree 100%. I mean, what th this is, we're seeing political persecution of believers because of their faith, and we're going to see more of it. I mean, if this Biden administration, can you imagine if they get elected for another four years? I mean, they'll feel like they've got a free hand. I mean, Biden won't be held accountable to anybody. The only people that can uh, haul, roll them in or rein them in, I should say, would be the Supreme Court. And the Biden administration has been pretty done a pretty good job of finding ways around Supreme Court rulings. The Supreme Court said that the Biden administration couldn't forgive all these student loans, just willy-nilly. And, and yet Biden keeps finding loopholes. He keeps looking for places to achieve the goals that he has, whether they're legal according to the Supreme Court or not. This is the way the Biden administration operates in every area. Can you imagine what will be coming for Christians if the Biden administration is elected again? And look, as Christians, we, we, we just have to, we have to accept it. I mean, but we do live in a constitutional republic where we have a voice, and we need to be raising our voices right now, making it clear that we understand that the Justice Department is being used and being weaponized against believers and against conservatives. I mean, it's not just Christians. It's anybody the Biden administration disagrees with. And this is not the way that America was supposed to work. I mean, it's just, I mean, we know this. Um, and, I mean, I, I'm, I'm amazed that there aren't more people, and particularly more pastors, that are willing to speak up about this. I mean, you don't have to preach about it every Sunday. 
I get preaching the gospel. Believe me, when I get a chance to preach, I want to lead people to Jesus. But I also want to inform people as to what's going on when it comes to biblical issues. I mean, life in the womb, long before that was a political issue, that was a biblical issue. That the idea of same-sex marriage, the idea of uh, you know changing from one gender to another, studies are coming out now talking about the facts that the fact that for how long have scientists been talking about uh, puberty blockers can be the effects of puberty blockers can be reversed, and now there are studies that are coming out that are suggesting that bone density is affected by puberty blockers, and that once you get through puberty, if your bones haven't stored up the density that they need, that you're going to have problems for the rest of your life. These people that are being told that puberty blockers are safe, there's research now demonstrating that it could affect bone density that could affect them for life. So these are, these are the kind of things that we have to stand up and stand on the truth and speak the truth. We can speak the truth in love, but the LGBTQ agenda, that's a biblical issue. It's not just a social issue. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to say, this is what the Bible says. This is what God says about these things. And we have just as much a seat at the table as believers in a constitutional republic as anybody else. And a lot of people think that's not true. I mean, I, I, know, I know pastors who think that they have no responsibility in trying to, um, to raise their voice about cultural and social issues that are biblical in nature. You know, I'm, I'm not going to be the uh, first one to talk about a, a business policy that is, you know, maybe um, uh, some, a law that's going to affect business one way or the other, but I am, as a believer, when things like protecting minors from pornography, protecting minors from the debilitating, the devastating effects of social media, that's a biblical mandate. We're called to protect the innocent. And sometimes I've, and, and it's not all pastors, please. I'm not, I'm not making a blanket statement here because there are a lot of good, God-fearing, just excellent pastors and leaders that are addressing these issues, but there's also a lot that don't want to address them for one reason or another. Maybe it's because they're concerned about dividing their congregation. Listen, when you preach the truth, the truth is going to divide. Jesus tells us this. He said that when the truth is spoken, when he, the truth, is spoken about, it's going to divide families. It's going to divide people because speaking the truth and living the truth is not always easy, especially in the culture that we live in today. Because uh, I mean, it, it's a it's a difficult that the culture is saying no to God. We're going to talk about tomorrow for a little while the rise of the nuns, and I'm not talking about N U N S. We don't have a, um, a revolt of Catholic nuns. I'm I'm talking about N O N E S. The those who are saying that they have no religion. And when you look, when you, when you put the parallel, the, the, the way that the family is declining with the rise of the nuns, I mean, there's, there's a parallel to that. The more people 
And we're up to 29% now in the latest surveys that say that they don't believe in anything. They don't believe. And, and it's not that they don't. Well, let me back up. They don't believe in organized religion. They're leaving religion. When they're asked what's their religious preference, they're saying none. Some of them, not all of them, are atheists. Some of them believe in God or some higher power, but they're abandoning and leaving the morality that finds its mooring in absolute truth. And that's leading to the decline of the family. It's leading to a lot of things that are bad for the culture. We'll talk about some of that tomorrow. On the program, I want to finish up with a positive story today because there have been a lot of negative ones. Uh, we can celebrate what the House of Representatives in South Carolina did yesterday. Those two strong votes, uh, protecting minors when it comes to social media and protecting minors when it comes to online pornography. Um, I, I just what a day, what a day! I'm I'm so glad we were there yesterday. So, had a lot of people there for the barbecue that we provided for the legislators. We were able to talk about it with them and to thank them for taking a strong stand and sending those bills over to the Senate. But, um, I, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of, it seems like when we look at the news, as I talked about earlier this week, sometimes it can leave us with a pretty heavy burden. And uh, there's, there's good news today. Um, Candace Cameron Bure shared exciting family news. This is, this is according to Daily Wire about her son, uh, Lev Beret, getting married as she celebrated the new union and her faith. The 47-year-old actress posted several beautiful pictures from the wedding day festivities over the weekend to Instagram on Tuesday. Quote, I present to you Mr. and Mrs. Lev Beret. Beret captured her post. Words cannot express the joy we have felt this weekend celebrating the marriage of our son and his bride. Um, uh, and we gained a beautiful daughter and a wonderful family uh, to do life with. And she went on to say, I have, a, I have an overwhelming sense of love, joy, peace, and contentment, thanks to God's blessings of family and friendship. My heart is so full. I'm grateful for our generational blessing of long-lasting Christ-centered marriages to have a legacy of great-grandparents and grandparents who have shown us the way, and now being the example for our children and their children to come. She continued, if this isn't a blessing, I don't know what is. What a celebration it was. The Holy Spirit was present. The gospel was preached, and love filled the air. Covenant vows were made, and hearts watching were reminded of theirs long ago. I mean, this is, this is what life used to be like in America when it came to important cultural moments that are family moments that rallies around the fact that two people who are believers come together in a covenant of marriage and are, are promising to love each other for life and to raise their children according to the teaching of the Scripture. And, I mean, this is somebody who is totally serious about her faith. Um, you know, starting the Great, the Great American Family Network, uh, she's known for that. She was part of Hallmark when Hallmark decided to um, involve LGBTQ theme stories, then she, quote, she said, I knew that people behind Great American Family were Christians that loved the Lord and wanted to promote faith programming and good family entertainment. And so there she is, um, promoting those kind of things, and we need to participate. I mean, I, we need to support her in that, and we need to celebrate with her not only the fact that she's celebrating 
a Christian marriage, but we just need to go back and think again about the importance of marriage and family in our culture. This is an opportunity for us to do this, to think about the influence that we can have. You know, I've got nine grandchildren. I want to pour into them the gospel. I want to pour into them the truth of God's word so that they become influencers in the culture for good. And the best avenue for that is the family. Um, We need to protect and continue to establish the family. And there's no question that the family is under attack in pretty serious ways in America. But it's still flourishing where Christians get together and acknowledge the importance of a husband and wife being a picture of the love that Christ has for the church. All right, that's all the time we've got for today. I hope you've enjoyed the program today. Don't forget, you can always see us live on Facebook and YouTube from 7.30 to eh, about 8.30 every day. Uh, Time for the program varies. But the podcast will be available, oh, in about an hour or so. And you can find it at Spotify or Apple Podcast and download it. Please follow me. Leave me a good review. Tell other people about it so they can get involved. If you enjoy it, maybe they will too. God bless you, and I'll see you in the morning.